Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Touchdowns All Day with John Barber, the podcast that has a higher fan rating than Game of Thrones. Welcome to episode five. We're at it again. It's Tuesday night. It's 11 o'clock. And I'm here cutting a podcast with you. And you all are listening. And we love that. Thank you for listening. I just uh, want to say that it's, it's great to make these podcasts. We had a really fun look back at 417.99 last week. That is what some fans consider a classic show. And we missed one of the jams, and we're going to drop that tonight, just to make sure we get the end of that basis in. And we're going to do, there's really so much going on based around the podcast right now. I don't even know where to start, honestly. And there's just too much to talk about. And I I can't fit it into episode five. I'm going to push all the stuff to talk about to episode six because there's just too much of it and I don't want to throw too much on you guys but just want to say Crunk Mike had a great week and things are popping so real quick Red Rocks is the theme of this podcast we have a Disco Biscuit show Red Rocks May 25 and on today's podcast we're going to try something new We are going to try an interview podcast where I'm the interviewer and the interviewee is Lane Shaw, drummer of NUMA. Super excited. We had a great conversation. We had like an hour and a half conversation. And I think by the time we get it to you guys, we're going to cut that down a little bit because, you know, hour and a half is a long time. So we're going to cut it down to something reasonable and we're going to play that for you on the podcast. Episode five tonight. So just speaking about Red Rocks, I just want to say congratulations to Simon Posford and Raja Ram, who sold out Red Rocks to the Gill this past week and played what just looked like an unbelievable show with a full band. It just the costumes, the music, the lights. They really, really killed it. And I'm super proud of them. I think that uh, it's a shame that I didn't make it to that show. I got to watch a lot of it online in clips. And it's really great that I can do that. It just, it looked so fantastic. I can't believe I didn't go. So congrats to Simon. It's also congratulations to Colorado because a guy like Simon Posford comes to America, plays all over the country, and his statement show is at Red Rocks, and that's a testament to Colorado, the fans in Colorado, and how they like to throw down, frankly. So really great for Simon and Raja, great guys. Uh, I just have a quick story about Simon. When I was in college, I knew this British guy who was really into electronic music, didn't listen to any music that was uh, played by a person. It was all played by computers, you know, composed by a person, but played by computers. And we were in his room, some dorm room, and we were listening to all this stuff. And he showed me some magazine, and there was a article about uh, Hallucinogen, which is Simon's previous project, a really popular project from the 90s. And, you know, my British friend knew that I was a guitar player, and he showed me the article, and he was you know, pointing out one of the particular lines in the article, which was, this guy is the Jimi Hendrix of the synthesizer, and that guy was Simon Posford. So when we got Simon to play at, I believe, Campus Go 4, I met him, and it was this, you know, transformation for me from a fan to a friend. And since then, Simon and I, you know, Simon and I have obviously made it biscuit albums together and we've played shows together and we've stood in the hotel lobby together waiting for vehicles and 
we had one great conversation about how uh, can, I think uh, one of the chicken chains was potentially using something called Animal 57 to make their chicken. And we had this, you know, just line of joking in there that ended up with uh, the Animal 57 is actually, not only is it the chicken, but it actually grows the bucket for you as well. I don't quite know how to translate the joke, but it's very efficient if when you buy the chicken, it already has the bucket attached to it. So he's a great guy. We had a great time over the years and I haven't seen him in a minute and I wish I went to that show. So congrats. I also feel like maybe we should talk about Game of Thrones again because, you know, we only have two more episodes. So quick spoilers, blah, blah, blah. If you haven't seen the episode, maybe fast forward two minutes. I don't have that much to say about it, but I do feel confused that there is so much negative energy around Game of Thrones, especially this last episode, which I thought was frankly fantastic. I mean, could they make a better dragon? I I can't imagine a more realistic and amazing dragon. And people, they don't understand. How does the Mad Queen go mad? Uh, how How does Daenerys get that angry and burn the whole city i just want to remind everyone that that her her best friend uh was decapitated in front of her in the previous episode i mean really misandra was kind of her best friend in a weird way i mean she's been with her almost the entire show and she's really very dedicated and definitely trustworthy and it must have been tough to see her decapitated Also, one of her dragons was shot a number of times randomly. And you know how she feels about the dragons. So it kind of makes sense that she was a little pissed off. I really feel like Jon Snow, though, had a chance to kind of, you know, get in there and really calm her down a little bit and maybe make a move or two on her and, you know, get comfy a little bit. And he didn't do it. And that must have pissed her off as well, because, you know, that would piss anyone off. I get it. I get why she did all that. I get the whole thing. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you were to compare it to, like, your own real life, like, let's let's put it in, in terms of my life, okay? Sometimes, you know, I might play a pickup basketball game against somebody, like a one on one game of basketball. So, what if I'm on the court and there's a person across the court from me? And he, uh, let's say it's a he for this situation, because it's me. Um, And let's say he killed my best friend and killed my best dog, or one of my two dogs. Just murdered my best friend and my dog. What, how's that basketball game going to go? I mean, I'm going to throw the ball to him like a check and say the ball hits him in the stomach and he falls over. What am I going to do then? I'm going to pick up the ball. I'm going to drive to the court, drive to the basket i'm gonna dunk the ball on him i'm gonna throw the ball at him again hit it off him grab the ball say too bad you touched it and go back in dunk another one i might dunk it three or four more times that's what happened the mad queen was just super super pissed and another thing about game of thrones i don't quite understand was you know what's everyone's problem with cersei why does everyone hate cersei so much is it, is she blew up the Sept. Wouldn't you have done the same thing? I think this. everyone in the Sept was, was kind of not that cool. I mean, the whole group in the Sept, they were all doing crazy, crazy stuff. And I don't blame her for blowing it up. She got married off to some guy who kept calling her Liana in bed. How pissed would you be about that? And all of her kids were murdered. I don't understand why everybody thinks she's so evil. I I think maybe it's that, like, mauve velvet jacket that she wears all the time. I think that it says more about mauve velvet jackets than it does about Cersei herself. And, uh, yeah, and somebody mentioned that maybe she's pissed that, you know, she got, like, a botched haircut a couple seasons ago and got to wait for it to grow in. So, at Game of Thrones... It's a story about 
people in weird leather shoulder pads walking around with swords, swinging them at each other. I don't think it justifies the amount of hate that's going on. I thought it was a pretty good episode. Okay, let's move on. So we have a correction. Uh, The previous episodes of the podcast, I talk about a lot of things that happened in the past, and I I may remember them incorrectly. And we're going to do corrections to try and fix that kind of stuff so that on the record, we're as accurate as we can possibly be here at the Touchdowns All Day podcast. And we have a question for today. It is the 50 Cent Show story with George Clinton that I told on an earlier episode. Apparently, I left out the fact that Randy Macho Man Savage was there. And I'm sorry. It would have made the story better. Everybody in the band met Randy Macho Man Savage, and he was almost exactly like you would think he would be in person all the way down to like the extremely leathery skin and the, you know, snap into a Slim Jim personality thing that you figure he would have. So there's our correction. Sorry about that. I missed Randy. We, um, we are doing work over here at the podcast, though. And one of the great things that we are doing that is especially great for all of you is... We are going to give away tickets to you guys. We're going to give away tickets. We are going to give away a three-day pass. So six tickets total. One for the 23rd in May, one for the 24th in May, and one for Red Rocks on the 25th. A three-day pass for two people to the Ogden Shows in Red Rocks Memorial Day weekend. And apparently those three-day passes are sold out. So the only way to get them is to be part of the Touchdowns All Day free ticket giveaway contest. So here's the deal. Anyone can enter the contest. And what you do is you go on social media and you share your favorite episode of the Touchdowns All Day podcast on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And you make sure that you tag it, Touchdowns All Day, because that's how we find you. That's how we see your entry. And then you also might want to Tag the friend that you want to bring with you. It's a very social media thing to do, is it not? So that's the contest. We will choose the winner at random. And we I can't wait to give away some tickets on this podcast. I think that's uh, that's part of why we're here. So if you didn't get your 3D passes, this is your shot. Everybody out there, go for it. First Touchdowns All Day podcast ticket giveaway. And we're very psyched about it. Hashtag Touchdowns All Day. So let's get into this because we got some music to listen to and we have an interview with Lane. So I just want to uh, drop the theme song here and let's rock. We're mass Now we have a ton of stuff to get through today. So I might leave the show dates off of this episode. You guys know when the shows are, right? So 
I do want to talk about one other thing, though, real quick, before we get to the basis ending from 417.99 that we left off of last week's. You know, we left it off of last week's because we dropped a new song. I thought that was a perfectly fine reason to leave it off of last week's. I know it makes searching and everything a little bit more difficult, but we had to drop the new song. I mean, it was episode four, it needed a new song. Um, that song was at 157 BPM, which is now, in retrospect, way too fast. But it was fun. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, there's a little bit of just mistakes and happenstance that goes into making music that it helps a lot of the time. So when you play something in 157, it's supposed to be at 130, you should, you should listen to it and see if you like it. You know, you never know. Happy mistakes type of thing. So... Real quick, instead of doing the show dates, I just want to talk about this interesting concept. Osiris Media, which is our podcast network, is doing an investment round with a company called Seed Invest. And you can own a piece of Osiris Media. Just go to seedinvest.com and search Osiris Media. I just typed Osiris Seed Invest into Google. And it comes right up there and you can invest and you can be a owner of the Osiris Podcast Network, which is a ton of podcasts. So I just wanted to throw that in there because it's happening and uh, I know that people are interested in that sort of thing. Let's skip the show dates and let's just jump into this basis ending. We played the shimmy bassist in 417 and now I just want to play the end of that basis and then we're going to go to the first interview on Touchdowns All Day podcast with Elaine Shaw from NUMA. Numa is opening the Red Rock show, so this is quite apropos. All right, here's the basis, Jim.
So this jam started off as, you know, to be with the theme of us talking about what jams look like. This jam to me looked a little bit like what if you were watching, if there was a, a space station on the moon and you were watching all the, you know, like a time lapse fast video of space shuttles landing and taking off on the moon and all the little rovers and stuff that make that possible. And then you can hear that I'm pushing off the key because the key to me, it seems too dominant. It's, it's too, it's too controlling of what's going on. And so I'm pushing off the key a little bit because it's a jam and, and I don't want to be in like the, the direct tube to the top of the basis jam. I kind of want to move out a little bit. And we, we pulled off of it, and you can hear there was a nice little climax in there because of that. But this jam is so tunnel that it's, it's not going to stay off that for long, and here we are right back on it. So this is a, a really great example of how tempo can get the job done for you just on its own. So here, there's two spots here where we're speeding up and then we slow down and then we speed up again. And Sammy is speeding up and slowing down at these spots where he's kind of creating the climax with the speed on its own. And super pro stuff from Sammy. It's a really great way to get people to focus is speed up the world that they're in and people have to make decisions faster so they have to make what I would consider to be simpler and you know more right along the path choices so you're in this jam thank you all very much we'll see you next time folks
club's probably closing right now, and we probably have to. We're probably yanked off stage at this point. And Sammy was probably aware of that and used the speed up to get everybody to hone in on the end of the song and get out of there. It seemed like there was just so much going on in that jam that we really could have done that for a while. There was great playing on all the parts, and there was a little uh, Freebird quote in there as well. I think. Just to spice it up a little bit. How great would it be if we had a uh, Touchdowns All Day podcast episode after this show? It'd be really great to hear what everybody was thinking after playing just something that intense. You know, very intense music by 99 Biscuits. One thing I like about 99 Biscuits is how we did songs like Memphis. The way we built robots. Well, I guess we didn't have robots in 99, but Memphis and songs like that kind of like 9205 tempo range because i feel like we had a, a really great rotation going in those years it was very we we're very consistent in that sense and i really like that kind of stuff i'm going to look for some stuff from 99 in that in that world for you guys and we're going to talk about it here on the podcast now without further ado We are going to do our interview. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Lane Shaw from NUMA. All right, welcome back to the podcast. We are with Lane Shaw, famed drummer of NUMA, a.k.a. NUMA Live now, right? It's true. Yes. Yeah, NUMA Live is the new thing. I like NUMA Live. Do you? I, I like it a lot. I think NUMA Trio was cool at the time but i like the regeneration with numa live or just numa with live however you put it numa trio just always just made us feel weird yeah it's jazzy yeah i don't think that's why we thought it was weird though but i think it just like puts a ceiling on you know how many people could be in the band (laughs) right you can't really uh yeah yeah i don't know you can't add a fourth member and call it the trio yeah what do you do then you surely can't make it two people call yeah. the trio. Yeah, that's, so that's now we're at, at Numa Live. I like that. Anybody can be in it. You guys can add 15 piece horn section and not have to change your name. Yeah. That's that's terrific. Yep. Lane is the first guest on the podcast ever. Yeah. Ever. Episode five. Incredible. Jo- John didn't tell me that until I got here. Yes. Nerve wracking. Yeah. Thank God I brought weed. Right. Reggae sober, baby. Reggae sober. So let's talk about some some business for a second for the fans, the people listening. Um, We are playing with NUMA at Red Rocks on May 25th. We've played Red Rocks with you guys before. Yep. Have we? Another. um, Is it NUMA Trio? It was NUMA Trio. Yeah. Um, What year was that? They can look it up. They can look it up, I think. It was a long time ago, though. It was must have been eight or nine it years was, ago. It was, but instead of just us and you guys this time, it was like a big bill. There was a lot of people playing. I can't remember who was playing, but... Yeah, we did us and just you guys this year on purpose because last year, we when, when we do us and a lot of other bands, we get like a one-hour sound check. Right. And the first hour of Red Rock sound check is literally... Uh, 12 person social media photo bomb that's all it is everyone's just walking around stage shooting the rocks shooting photos shoot. and then and then your sound sucks you haven't done a damn thing with the sound yeah. like you literally play the guitar for two seconds and last year the wind came through and blew 
part of the rig over and it it was unplugged and they plugged it back in during the show but they didn't plug it in 100% correct and so I had all guitar which is a nightmare for me because I know what I'm playing on guitar I need to hear what everybody else is doing and it was just one of those things where we want we, this year we wanted to do a real sound check and so we decided you know Don at Red Rocks was nice enough to let us well, thank you, yeah. and uh, it makes sense to me. It's worth it to have you guys on it, for sure. I mean, this is special. We're, we're really excited. We'll see what goes down. Yeah, it's going to be great. So, anyone who wants to go, we have the uh, we have a very special, another first on the Touchdowns All Day podcast is... The giveaway. We're giving away tickets. No better feeling. No better feeling. I lived in Vegas for a while, so I need like a little bit of a Vegas vibe on the to- on the podcast. I need like some winnings and contests and stuff like that. So the contest is simple for all you out there. Uh, anybody can enter, no matter who you are. All you have to do is share any episode of the Touchdowns All Day podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Tag it, Touchdowns All Day. That's how we find you. And also tag whatever friend you want to bring with you to the show. And we will read all those tags and put them into a random chooser. And the random winner will be chosen and we'll let you know on social media and we'll, we'll drop it in the DMs. And, uh, and you get free tickets. And this is a three-day ticket to the Ogden, which is like $180 value or something like that. So It's a lot of cash. People. It's a lot of cash. We're forking over some cash here at the Touchdowns yeah. All Day Podcast. Well, it's recognized, you know? Yeah. So we got to give it back. Got to give it back to the fans. And, and uh, so somebody's going to win six tickets total, two to the Ogden on the 23rd, two to the Ogden on the 24th, and two to Red Rocks, the big show, on the 25th. Ooh. So, okay, let's talk about this. I was thinking I have Lane on as my first guest. I've never really done an interview before as the interviewer. And uh, I just realized that I don't even know where you're from. I think I know where you're from, but I don't think I'm right. I know where Numa's from is, is where I kind of came from. Where, yeah, where, where do you think I'm from? I don't know. Maybe Atlanta would be my guess. That's close, I guess. Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis was my second guess, for yeah. sure. Um, from Memphis, Tennessee. I guess I moved away from there when Numa started. So I was like 19 years old when I moved away from Memphis. But um, yeah, and I've been out here pretty much ever since. So when Numa started, you were 19. Well, technically we, we were 18, or I was 18, and wow. Ben was 18. Alex was a year older. Um, but yeah, we were really young, for sure. Wow, I, I don't remember thinking that you guys were especially young. That's crazy young for a touring. Yeah, and I guess we were just, you know, trying to play with you guys Yeah, to start out. So when was that? That was those early 2000s? 2004. Five, I believe, is when like Numa really started. We played like a, a barn party in Murfreesboro, and then our second show was actually at Campisco. We pulled up to Campisco. You guys gave us like an early day slot on the main stage. We parked our van and trailer directly behind main stage and left it there all week. <laughs> I remember that. And then everybody <laughs> wanted us gone. <laughs> Big tour buses were pulling in, telling us to leave. And all weekend long, there was like stage managers going, whose van is that? Who's-? We made it a point to not answer that question <laughs> at all. I remember that. Yeah. Everybody thought it was Brownstein's van. Because Alex and Mark look so much alike. Love it. So nobody wanted to move the van or have the van towed or something like that because they thought it might be Mark's. Thank God it didn't get towed. <laughs> but yeah, that was pretty it was pretty epic for us. Not a lot of sleeping, a lot of bass on that stage. Yeah, so that was that was maybe first ILCC Camp Bisco. Maybe second ILCC. Are the Hell's Angels at every single one? I just remember just the ILCC. Ones. I just remember the Hell's Angels all the time. Yes, at the ICC. So that was first ILCC. ILCC. Yeah, Indian Lookout Country Club, which is actually a Hell's Angels stronghold. <laughs> Amazing place to pick. Honestly, the Hell's Angels were an interesting. It was interesting to do concerts there because they are quite organized. 
That's what I've heard. Actually. Very efficient. You would think that, like, I, I laugh about it just because, you know, it, you just think the Hells Angels, you know, kind of running the Disco Biscuits Festival. You know, who put that together? Well, it was kind of a match made in heaven at the time. Nobody would hire the Disco Biscuits. Nobody. And nobody wanted to work with the Hells Angels. Match made in heaven. And so we called each other and we were like, well, let's do the thing. Then Camp Bisco became, at one point in time, the biggest festival on the East Coast, I think. Northern East Coast, I guess, because maybe Bonnaroo was out at that point. This is like before they did EDC on Rikers Island or wherever they do that. Yeah. Randall's Island. No, you guys popped it off. It was popping. It was still popping. I'll be there this year. Numa. So you guys are out. You guys are on tour. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. We've, we're trying to figure it out right now. Alex is in New Zealand right now living. He moved there, correct? Yeah. Is it because of the Lord of the Rings that he moved there? I think so. Yeah, it's a good yeah. movie. Yeah, and it's a good move. Dude. I thought about it after I saw that movie. But yeah, he's been over there. We're kind of just, you know, kind of letting things play out. He still comes back to Los Angeles before our shows. And, you know, we've got talks of doing new music and stuff for Numa and... Yeah, I'm not sure about a full-on tour yet, but we're definitely adding shows. We've got probably like six more shows left this year that we've already booked. Nice. And then we'll probably do some, you know, Halloween and New Year's stuff. But, you know. So tell me about the band for a second. It's not Numatrio because there's not three people in the band anymore. Right. Just you and Alex now. Yeah. Um, oh, just, for, just for everyone out there listening, uh, Alex, we've known him obviously since he was 20. So for us, he's Alex, but uh, he's known professionally as Paper Diamond. He's a very successful EDM artist. And he's also a great bass player. He's also a great musician. And he was feeling, I guess, you guys were hanging out in L.A. and stuff like that. And I guess he got the bug to play actual music again outside of the studio on stage, not DJ it, but actually perform. Is that what happened there? Yeah, I think we we had kind of... Each, like, New Year's that would come around, we would sometimes get offers to play over the past shit, eight years. Really? Um, since we um, disbanded, like, a while ago. I don't know. It just, especially with Alex and I in our relationship, we, like, started hanging out a lot more. And, like, it just felt cool to get back together and do it. Yeah. He lives, he still has a place downtown L.A. close to mine. But, like, it's super close. Like, we're always hanging out. And if people are trying to, like, you know, get us to put a show on, we should probably try to do it. You know? I mean, is that crazy that you guys well, not been playing for eight years and you still getting offers? Like, that to me sounds amazing. Well, it's, it is amazing. And it's definitely something we don't take for granted. And I think that's part of the reason, too, why we this time, too, we were like, shit, man, people want it to happen. You know, we might as well just do it now. And I don't know. I think I think. It's been a good decision so far. Um, but, you know, it's a whole thing. It's not like you're just getting back up there, going to play, and then not thinking about it again. It's a whole business. you got to start up again and, right. and all that stuff. Um, ben Hazelgrove, our um, original keyboard player, um, you know, we reached out to him about all this when it we kind of came to the decision that we wanted to get it back together last October. And um, Ben's just for health reasons, just can't like, he can't really go out on the road and play shows like that anymore. So, you know, we had to figure that out. Um, No more Ben Hazelgrove. So it was just Alex and I, and, you know, we're still kind of putting the pieces together, but um, you know, it's been really exciting being back and seeing that the scene, you know, to your point that like, they still wanted us to play. It's just the fact that the scene is still like alive and well. Like we were just like, hell yeah. Like <laughs> we're so lucky to just come back and just say what up to people again and be on these stages. I mean, we're playing Red Rocks after not putting music out for over over like ten years. And it's like it's not like we we're the biggest band in the world. Yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the choir there. We're playing Red Rocks. We haven't put anything out really in a long time. No, but it's just like pretty amazing. So it's like, you know, we got to give it our best shot. So I mean, people like underestimate in the jam band world how hard it is to put records out. 
There's not like a line of record companies that are dying to sign a band that makes 10-minute jazz odysseys into rock songs, you know? Right. There's no, you know, if, I think if you're making, you know, invoke hip-hop, whatever that is today. Right. I mean, I guess... Pe- there's people who want to sign you. Bohemian Rhapsody that just came out. Yes. Right? Did you see that? I did. That's kind of some jam band shit. It kind of is, for sure. I mean, glossed up in a... Shop quartet kind of way. Right, for sure. Like, Billy Joel would do that stuff, you know? Yeah, but, like, the label guy is just like, what the hell? There's no way. It's way too long. Yeah. But it's like... And that was 1979 where that was cool. Yeah. Alex and I were actually talking talking about it the other day. It's like, because we're trying to figure out about new, new music to make right now. I like that. You know, we're trying to figure out, like, what part of this seven minute and 30 minute <laughs> song slash jam that we used to play like what what did people like about it and it was the sections like it took you through a story of music which i guess being back in that it's, it is kind of nerve-wracking to try to come up with because it's like the orchestration of those things a lot of our songs a lot of um how our original songs came up were from like sound checks you know? Oh, really? Yeah, we'd just be jamming on something, and then we'd be like, okay, let's nail that part down. For sure. Make up another part. But, like, because we didn't have time to practice back, th- back in the day. Just saying, just like you guys, when you're touring that much, kind of the last thing you want to do is practice after you, like, play 170 shows in a year. Almost impossible. It's tough. It's also hard to write on the road. There's certain people who can do it, but I, I have not seen it done successfully very often. That's kind of what I'm saying, though. I think if you try to do that, I think that's you can find some success in that. I feel like Willie Nelson did that pretty well, or at least sold me on the idea that that's where he writes all his stuff. Seems like he sells a lot of things. Yeah, <laughs> he does. <laughs> How's his weed? Have you tried his weed? I haven't, but I've, I've heard it's out in the streets. I met Willie Nelson at an activation for his weed. And we had, we, we had a handshake and quick chat, chat. Didn't know who the disco biscuits were. I told them we played stubs. Nice. And we did whiskey river there. And I think I'm maybe the 300th person to say that to him. That was the look on his face. Right. I've heard this before. Yeah. And then I didn't want to point him to the version because it's, it's, I don't think it's the best work of the disco biscuits for sure. But he's an old guy. He's in his, He's kind of like weird because he was a big pop star in like the 40s. See, I don't even know anything about that. Yeah, there's a there's a career where young Willie Nelson was doing like straight pop stuff. Like country pop, but back in the day, like before On the Road Again and all that stuff. Before the classic Willie. Yeah. There was Pop Willie. Sure is some country pop going on right now. Yeah, there is. The Old Town Road song. Oh, I haven't heard that yet. See, you're so smart. <laughs> it's so good that you haven't heard that. If you could just dodge some things, like that's a good one to just miss completely. I just right. went to a music festival just last weekend or two weekends ago, something in the water festival in Virginia. And I had dodged that song like really well. I had only listened to it on social media. And then when I got out, like in the real world, you know, heard that song like 20 songs last last weekend and i can't get out of my head oh no how do you do how do you deal with that the song in the head thing i don't know but i was actually like bitching out loud about it a bunch to my girlfriend and then she just kind of told me how much of a loser i was and then i stopped she broke up with you over the song (laughs) or might be about to i doubt that but uh what i've tried to do is I listen to like a completely different kind of music entirely. Like I'll go and listen to like some old jazz. Like I like to listen to maybe some Bitches Brew from Miles Davis. I'll listen to like Coltrane India, like some real out stuff. And recently that hasn't been working. So like I'll listen <laughs> to some out stuff and I'll be like, okay. I'm, and then 20 minutes later, I'm right back in the loop, the catchy loop. Yeah. Do you know uh, Gabor Zabo? Yes been listening to a lot of that lately yeah that takes you on some wild rides i feel like it's kind of like it well it keeps you in the same room yeah right but it yeah. like takes you all throughout the room in his music i feel like that's something numa could do i feel like 
you guys have the potential with your ability to keep the beats fresh and also keep the production at a super high level. Alex is really good at the production part of it, for He's sure. He's one of the best He's in the world. Very pays attention to detail, um, and it's really nice to have that, you know, when you're coming up with songs. We um, Recently, we've been playing with this keyboard player named uh, Big Yuki. Okay. Or Yuki. Ma- yes. I know Magner is a fan. Yes. I've, I've, um, I think I've met. Yeah, you probably have. He, I guess he's played with Grizz on some mm-hmm. shows and just just kind of been around. But he, um, he's great. He's fabulous. Um, but I think, you know, we might make some tunes with him. Cool. And he's great because he definitely kind of thinks on that composer mind. Like he can sit there and write out like an odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> in like 10 minutes. Which can so, backfire because you can have too many chord changes and it's too hard to play and that's, it's, nobody cares anymore after dude, a while. There's a uh, there's a fine line and where yes. that line is, <laughs> I don't know where it is, but you got to find it. It's, it's right between clever and stupid. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we did a song in the studio yesterday that has maybe too many chords in it. Yeah, and I'm not sure yet. But uh, we'll find out in a, in a couple of weeks when we, you know, you, you walk away from it for a couple of days and you go back to it. So you guys are going to get on that train now. Huh? Is there a studio and like, is there a new music in the future? There is. There definitely is. How it's going to be made is the question right now. Yeah. But Alex is actually about to be back in the States for a minute, for like a month and a half. So we're going to do some recording then. Might come here to record here. I think that would be wonderful. This place is perfect for a could, duo. We, you know, we could do another podcast. We should. This is one of, you know, maybe since you're the first guest on the podcast. Still can't believe this. You get to you get to come back on all the anniversary dates, like the 100th episode and the 102nd episode. I'll be here. I think after 100 episodes, we're going to do a special party every single time we release a podcast <laughs> over 100. Because at that point, you're just... You're so happy. Can't believe it. <laughs> totally blown away. You know what we haven't done on the podcast? Maybe we could do a bunch of firsts here. We haven't done like a live in-studio band jam. jam podcast yet. Uh-oh. Because I'm dropping new songs on the podcast already. But we haven't done just fresh, out-of-the-box, loose jamming stuff. And we can do a super long jam on the podcast. Nobody's going to stop us. You don't have a limit, do you? No, not at all. I think the limit is like the amount of space on the phone of the listener. <laughs> we have to kind of figure out how much space is on their phone and then figure out how many MP3s we can put in that space. It just opens up a whole floodgate. I mean, of- to roll back to what we were saying, it's hard to put an album out as a jam band because you need a label, but you can't get a label. You, you, even if like... You're a pretty successful jam band. You know, who's going to put out your stuff? Like, they just don't care. And and they're not taking those kind of chances. And you don't want to give somebody a 360 deal because all that money is spoken for already. So unless they, like, make you considerably larger, which they probably won't be able to do. You know, labels need to, like, have you play Ellen, John. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I don't know. Would that work? I don't know. I would do (laughs) sit-ups for that. I would I would firm up a little bit to play Alan. I mean, I'd get a short haircut. Yeah. <laughs> Disco biscuits on Ellen. Yeah, there's zero chance of this. <laughs> Manifest that. Ellen used to rip comedy live back in the day too. Oh, oh yeah, she was like a bruiser on the comedy stage. Like she was just crushing crowds. And so I don't think Ellen takes any bullshit. So right. if you wanted to play the Ellen show and you're not pumping out a three minute song with some catchy parts on it i think she just kicks you the fuck off the lot yeah she i don't think she puts up with any no more contact with her (laughs) you never think the studio disappears from your existence yeah that burner phone she used to get in contact with you on is gone yeah it gets mailed to your house after a hammer is smashed through it (laughs) yeah i can't imagine that we're going to uh i just don't think you need a label so. Well, we don't anymore. I'm, the podcast is my record label now. That's what I'm saying. It's just like the more you're talking with everybody, it's like the more they want to hang out. 
I'm going to release everything on the podcast, I think. I think it's just a, a really great way to get stuff out there. Yeah. Alex and I had that. We did Instagram Live the other day, and that was such a huge deal for us. So what what are you doing that on? Are you doing that on a Paper Diamonds? Well, I just call yeah, I just call him on his Paper Diamond account, and then we just go. So you just post it to there. Yeah, and we cool. just played our we played our live set from New Orleans that we played with Sound Tribe Sector Nine at the Fillmore. Yes, and it was cool. People tuned in and watched us make fun of some of the parts and think other parts were cool. That's dope. Yeah. It's kind of what you were talking about with this show, which is really cool. I don't know. Just the more you're just talking with people and giving them a chance to look into your life. Right. You know? And and a chance to, you know, vibe on your personality a little bit. Oh, 100%. I mean, how dope would it be if you had hours of, let's say, let's just choose one guy out of a hat, Jimi Hendrix, talking over Rainbow Bridge. How, like, (laughs) just explaining what he was thinking during the Rainbow Bridge solos, you know, like that would just be the best. That's true. So you guys are a jam band, right? Sure. Okay. How, how far does that extend in the word jam? Are you guys doing the jam? How does that work? Yeah, we like to jam sometimes. So how does that work in your band? As far as? As far as do you ditch the backing tracks? Yeah. And play loops? Yeah. Do you record the, does Alex record loops in as you go? What is there? Are you playing to like? There's kind of two, two types of ways right now. We're, when we're playing like one of our original tracks, they don't have drums in them or uh, or any tracks in them. Excuse me. Okay. Um. So it's just all instruments. Really? Yeah. And we do that probably right now. Seventy percent or sixty-five percent of our show, which is pretty cool. Considering we haven't like actually like practiced practice in a long time, right? But that's been a lot of fun, and that's something that we realized we need to like think about when we're creating these new songs. Is they need to be, you know, instead of me tapping out a beat on the computer, you know, what would I play live? Interesting on a real kit. That's what we're really trying to like hone in on to go back to the jam stuff. Um, we're looking to do a lot more of that stuff. I mean, we took 10 year, years off of doing it. Right. But that's like almost the best because you get rid of all the old ways of doing things. It is the best. <laughs> yeah, it is. You're kind of looking at everything from this fresh perspective. Yeah. So are you going to open it up and just do free form jams? Or are you going to do solo sections in between melodies or... The first show back that we did with Duma that we did with Yuki, who's going to be with us at this next show, we would already have free-flowing jams that were already just sections where we're like, okay, we're just going to play in this key, this tempo, go for it. And then at some point, we, we're going to get to a head nod and then go into like a, a solo that's kind of scripted out that everybody's part of. Okay. You know, so like hits... You know, in bet- in between somebody else's solo, and like, so like a, a natural progression with the solo. Yeah, just but the solo's not scripted, right? The no, solo. solo's not scripted, but the hits, you know, are like that we meet up on at somewhere during the solo. Yeah, we we talk about that on this podcast actually. That really that approach to improv, where you you're moving as a group through different stages of the jam in like a controlled and organized way. Is that what you're... Yeah, no, exactly. I'm just trying to like think about it's such an awesome topic because also when Numa was like kind of on the outs around that time, like DJs and stuff were coming in and building things up until you just couldn't build it anymore and dropping shit. But I feel like that's what we learned from like bands like y'all back in the day is that I think one of the reasons you're so successful and still are is because you just like figure out ways to keep building it up and like communicating on stage as a band, right? So like there's questions and answers on stage that you guys are just always like hammering out when you're building up music and going into transitions and all that stuff. So like I think that's kind of integral to like the jam scene. Well, I actually think that the... 
the the biscuits don't do the super well organized jam very well. Um, we've never been able to actually practice it. It's something about the the people in the band just wanting to be more free in the jam sections. And there's also four of us, right? So there's plenty of notes being played all the time. Um, so bringing you know we actually are trying to do a little stuff where we're a little bit more organized in these larger moments in the jam. So the biscuits, when we get to these large moments of the jam, it's usually because we've been holding it off for so long that it just becomes like inevitable that everybody gets there. Yep. So it's like why the biscuit jams kind of take a little bit longer is because we loop around the stuff where I've heard other bands and a lot of other bands kind of successfully do the more segmented jam style. And I've been in the crowd when uh, bands are doing it and it feels great in the crowd and yeah. I get it. I just haven't been able to successfully do it with the biscuits for some easier reason. said than done. Yeah. Easier. Easy. Notice I said, you know, we were trying to do that. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, like you gotta, you do one or the other naturally. I feel like as a band. Right. And then you got to do that one really well. Cause that's what you do naturally. And then you might want to play with the other one, depending on, you know, how dedicated you are to that part of your show. Exactly. So you guys have six more shows for the rest of the year. Don't quote me on that number, but yes, something yeah. like that. So anything, what's on that list besides Camp Bisco? We've got a show coming up with you in three weeks at Red Rocks, Numa and the Disco Biscuits. That's right. That's correct. And then May 25th. May 25th, and then we're doing June is Electric Forest, um, and then July 4th will be at High Sierra. Oh, wow. Yep. I haven't played that one in a minute. That's a fun festival. Yeah, that'll be great. And then, Jul- yeah, and then mid-July, or later July, we're playing Camp Bisco. Um, and, then, and then from there on, we just kind of have some dates that we're talking about doing. Cool. All right, so I'm realizing, you know, that we're, we're lucky enough to have all these listeners to the podcast. I'm sure there's a lot of NUMA fans who are listening to the podcast for the first time. And I'm realizing that this is our my first interview, our first interview. And there's got to be, you know, some conversation about, you know, the pacing of the interview in there and learning how to throw that stuff in. And I think we could probably wrap this up pretty soon, but before we do, and I think we're kind of going there anyways, I wanted to ask you, the last time we talked was during the Eagles game, and um, you were telling me that, so one of the things that you're doing to give yourself a, a basis of stability while you're doing all your music projects is you created a shoe cleaner and... You told me about this at the time, and it just kind of blew me away because you had gotten there with this strange process, and it just seemed like what you were talking about was a really cool idea. And I was really fascinated because I like doing that kind of, you know, like little products and stuff has always been fun. So I was just wondering, you know, can you take us through that story? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's now becoming a story because now it's actually happening happening which is so cool but um a buddy of mine that i grew up with uh, told me to read the book the four hour work week sure and i hate reading so i listened to the audiobook <laughs> and it, it was great um was tim ferris speaking on the audiobook i don't know if that's actually him speaking on it but um you know i just thought Previously, what I was talking about, about just like talking about figuring out something that could allow you to, you know, do music. Um, I was just thinking about what's some cool ways that I can not get a nine to five and like really figure out how to automate, you know, part of your life to where you can get that stream of money. No suit and tie, but yeah, living room scratch. Yeah. And the four hour work, we just kind of really kind of guide you on how this guy did it and so crazy like so many people can do what this dude did i'm not saying that i'm doing it right now at all i'm really trying to (laughs) get there but a buddy of mine was just also talking about you know just kind of making a shoe cleaner and 
you know, probably not just like going after the biggest market or, or you know, whatever trendy markets are happening and, and to what consumer, but, you know, we should gear it towards, you know, a certain sport. How did you come up with shoe cleaner? What do you mean? Just as just a product in general? Yeah. It was just the noticeable thing that like uh, cheerleaders need their shoes white. So amazing. There's a lot of cheerleaders. There's a lot of cheerleaders. Every high school. So, I mean, it's like an actual problem. So, so you guys had a conversation. I guess your friend is maybe in the shoe business or something. No, not at all. But he's just like had this idea. Wow. To kind of get together. And then I was just like broke on my couch one day a couple of years ago. And I was just like, shit, I'm just going to go to a bunch of chemical manufacturers and see if they can whoop up the best shoe cleaner ever. They did a good one. So... So wait a second. Let's just focus on that for a second because this is the part that really blows me away. Yeah. And I went to like seven of them. Shoe, just people who make chemicals. Yeah. It's a very interesting process. It's a whole other world over there. I wasn't even thinking about the process when I went through it, but I was just like, I literally was just going up chemical companies, going in and being like, I want to make this type of formula. Do you do this? And they would. Wow. You know. And they would say, you know, it's we do this, that, and the other thing. You can, what do you buy it by the barrel? You got contracts, and you know, there's a blend agreement, all that stuff. Really? Yeah. I mean, so how do you come up with the blend? I don't know. That's not a question for me. I basically just kind of told them, you know, let's just make what, whatever you think is a good product that that cleans or, or is a good soap that mm-hmm. would be for shoes. Just whoop it. You know, whoop one up. Soap doesn't need to be invented, right? They no. they, they got soap. They got soap. <laughs> they got different kinds of soap. They got all sorts of different stuff. We just found a, a good solution. The people believed in what we were doing. So you get the solution. How do you get the solution into the little bottle? They have like an assembly line machine. They fill it. They fill the bottles. So they do all that for you. They do all that for us. They put the label on the bottle for you. They do the label on the bottle. Yep. Wow. And then we just put those bottles in a bag with a brush and ship it to you. So your your target market is... Well, we're a wholesaler. Okay. What's the name of the company? Glow Shoe Cleaner. Glow Shoe Cleaner. G-L-O period. G-L-O period. So we're, we're a wholesaler. Thinking about marketing and all that stuff for a product in general just makes me not want to do it <laughs> you know not feeling that part no but i mean you know you're marketing it right now i think how many cheerleaders are listening to the podcast probably a lot go out and get some glow shoe cleaner yeah so i remember you said that there's a, a website that caters to the cheerleading community our product is on varsity.com's website and that's like where you need to be right that's the that- that's where you can get our cleaner right now we're only we're only sold in the cheerleading community right now. Right. It's like the apple of cheerleading supplies. Yeah, exactly. We'll see what happens. We're in talks with some other retailers and it's fun, man. I don't know. It's like fun to just like randomly learn how to like get a bunch of shit made for you cheap and resale high. Like, I don't know. I didn't do business. I played drums and smoked weed like all the time. A lot. Yeah, and just like, that's all I did. Like, I didn't think about, like, making money or... Was the shoe cleaner idea hatched when you were high? It definitely... It, I think it definitely came together while we were both high. It sounds like it's it's, it's kind of a great story. Because it, it, it just personally, like, you know, I've built a few things. If I was to build a shoe cleaner, I wouldn't even know how to get started. If I had that thought. I wouldn't even know what to do. The fact that you guys would have the wherewithal to seek out a chemical manufacturer that can put it in a bottle and throw the label on for you is... Typically, I wouldn't think like that. So when I had those feelings of like going, getting up off my ass and like actually doing it, like I hate chemistry. There's no reason I should have done this really other than I just wanted to... Try something. Try something new and just like, yeah, try something I never thought I would do. I've never thought about making a cleaning product in my entire life. It's going to be exciting to watch. I'm going to keep track and we're going to have you back on the show. Amazing. And check in with the Glow Shoe Cleaner. I'm really stoked about the Red Rock show. Yeah. 
Check in with Numa Live. Yeah. The Red Rock show is going to be a lot of fun. We should plan something musically. We should. Is there nothing in the works at the moment? No. Well, just talk, but we'll figure it out. Like a full, like everybody on stage jam session or something like that? Something like that. We have a really long sound check, so we can start working out stuff like that. Great. Well, that's good to know. Maybe that's definitely a reason why we should join so we can get one too. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to say thank you to Lane Shaw, first interview guest ever and drummer of NUMA. We're playing with them, Disco Biscuits and NUMA at Red Rocks, May 25. And we're going to hang out now. We're going to listen to some new music and have a good time. We want to thank you guys all for listening. And we'll see you in Colorado. See you soon. All right. Thank you guys for listening to the Touchdowns All Day podcast. Thank you to Rich Steele for all of his hard work putting this together. Thank you to Crunk Mike for making this a really fun and awesome experience and thank you to lane shaw of course we'll see you guys at red rocks this is john barber thank you for listening have a great night we're mass communicating